In contrast to fire and passion, we have the second personality type, the second temperament, water. Calming, relaxing, soothing. How does that play itself out in your life? In the second part of a four-part elements series, we will be addressing the Kabbalah of water, hidden worlds. Hello, we are now in the second part of a four-part elements series, the four elements, the four personality types, four temperaments. And this part two, we will be addressing the Kabbalah of water, hidden worlds. This program is dedicated by the Schwartz family in honor of their children and grandchildren. All of us have different temperaments and personality types. But in truth, it's not that black and white because we have a combination of them and they interact with each other and they're interconnected. So yes, though the dominant gene, so to speak, the dominant feature in your personality may be fiery passion, fire, you also have a water archetype, so to speak, within you, a more calming more soothing, more peaceful aspect. For some, that may be the dominant feature. And then there are the other two, wind or air and earth. We will be addressing now number two, the water archetype. That feature, that personality. In some circles, in some schools of thought, these four are compared with the personality types of fire connected to choleric, water to phlegmatic, wind or air to sanguine, 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 and earth to melancholic. But we're speaking about it in a broader sense than just those four. So let's discuss the water aspect of our lives with obviously the goal, identifying that feature in our personalities, accentuating and looking for ways to express it in a healthy way, and taming and harnessing the negative elements that come from this personality type. As we did in part one about fire. Now, interesting, fire and water, we always see them as the two poles, and they are indeed that way. Fire is described as passionate, fiery. In its features, it's dry and hot. Water is the exact opposite. Water is cool and moist. And its effect on us, and the way we treat it, the way we look at it, is also a different effect. Though, as we'll discuss, water can be destructive, and as in the flood, as in uh, water damage, as in a tsunami, but generally speaking, water soothes us. 
Fire is connected more to fear. Though, yes, fire-controlled fire is warmth, comfort. We can't exist without it. But overall, fire is a much more aggressive force, where water is a much more calming force. We never enter or submerge ourselves into fire. We do so into water. Water has that nurturing element to it. So what exactly is this water feature within us? And of course, this just doesn't mean physical water. As the mystics explain, the physical is just a manifestation of the spiritual. So when we speak about water, we're really talking about the archetype, the personality type, the temperament. And that evolves into the features that we know in the physical world as water. So let's talk about these elements. We talked about soothing, calming, relaxing, submerging ourselves. There's something about being nurtured and embraced by water when we enter into water, whether it's at a beach or a swimming pool. And it's not a surprise because we all began our lives submerged for nine months in the embryonic fluids in our mother's womb. I don't know how much research was done on this, but the Kabbalists and the mystics explain that that water being submerged there is the key to developing an element of security in our lives. You feel nurtured, you feel enclosed, you feel wrapped around, as I said, hugged, embraced. It's exactly the feeling when you go into a bath, into a spa, into the water. There's something about it that feels comfortable, literally like someone hugging you. But here it's total immersion, total submerging yourself. Into what? Into a reality that is greater than yourself. When someone hugs you, when someone loves you, that's what you feel. You feel cared for. And that's why it's soothing. And that's why it's calming. So water's personality is far more the loving hug as opposed to fiery passion. All of us need love, and love indeed is compared to water. It's liquid, it's moist, it's not dry, it's not arid. It brings out the moisture within us, it makes us feel cleansed, it makes us feel um, nurtured, and it makes us feel moist. When something is dry, it's very tight, it's minimal. When you feel a type of like refreshed, that's the word I was looking for, refreshed, it brings out the best in us. And yet there's also another side to water, like everything, always has the other side to it, which when untamed or uncontrolled can also cause other issues, which we shall discuss. But let's first focus more on this positive side to it. So in both receiving love and giving love, essentially you're accessing and you're, uh, you're uh, activating and generating the water archetype within you. As I said, all of us need to receive and to give love. So ask yourself, where do you stand with that? You may have passion, you may have fire in you, determination, ambition, but where do you stand in the element of that calmness, of that nurturing, which is so much part of love? Even though love needs passion, but the element of love that we're discussing here is the nurturing element. 
Are you able to do that? Do you have the presence of mind, the patience? Do you give it the time necessary? So that's the first question. And you'll find very often that you're fully capable of having that watery element, both in receiving and in giving, with the focus being on the giving, but we just don't uh, focus on it. We don't um, spend time, we don't invest. So obviously it remains somewhat more dormant. So that is exactly what we do in the second personality type, is we focus on this aspect of ourselves and do whatever it takes to activate it. From the beginning, from the moment you awake, expressing that type of kindness, bringing calm to people around you. Very often we're around people and we feel jittery. We feel nervous because they're nervous. You want to be a person that when someone's near you, they feel calm, they feel relaxed. Even if there's a challenge, they feel we'll get through it. This is all the nurturing quality, the refreshing quality of water. What about the other side? So where does water become something that needs to be controlled or needs to be channeled and tamed and harnessed? Well, the physical world we know. Just as it is with fire, we can't live without warmth. But fire out of control is destructive. Water, the same thing. When water is not controlled, it floods. It destroys. What is that in the personality, in the psychological temperament? It's when water is just either too relaxed, too calm, where you don't feel any angst, any fire. That's on a very basic level. But to take it to the next step, water also makes things grow. So just as love, nourishing, makes things grow, so does water. Now, what, what, what can be the negative side of that? Well, water also, therefore, is relates to the elements that give us pleasure. Because that's very much part of what the water does. It makes things grow. Everything of pleasure, especially in the area of food, needs water to make it grow. But in a broader sense, that particular personality type also is very loving. But what about when that loving becomes selfish? When that loving becomes narcissistic? When there's no controls? It's all about being water everywhere, so to speak. Which is essentially giving in to all the things that give you pleasure and delight without any discipline. So in the mystical terms, fire is connected to gvura, discipline. Severe, it's strong. Water is connected to love, pleasure, giving. But like all giving, look at the rain. Rain is giving, it nurtures, it uh, moisturizes. The earth makes things grow, but the rain has to come down in drops. If it came down in... uh, in, in flood, uh, it came down in in buckets. It would destroy the fields. So it needs a measure to regulate the flow. The same thing with water in our lives. Water in the ocean is great rain, but when it starts flooding, when it starts turns into a tsunami, it can create a lot of damage. So too on the spiritual psychological side of things, the love of water needs to have its regulation. Without that, 
it can become self-destructive and destructive to others. If you give in to all your pleasures, if you give in to all your delights, to everything that calms you, then what happens is, yes, it's beautiful to be calm, but too much of it becomes self-indulgent. And that's where we need to be careful. So watery personalities are people who love pleasure. That's beautiful, as long as it's regulated. So in that sense, we have to look at both sides of that personality type. The first side is to cultivate the positives of it, the positives of water, and the second is to regulate and harness the negative elements. So pleasure is great. Calm is great. A certain element of serenity, the soothing, the moisturizing effect of waters, but not overindulging in it. And it's easy, we all know, it's easy to fall into that trap because that's the nature. When you're submerged, when you feel like you belong, where you feel that type of um, being hugged and embraced, why should you want to ever let go? So we're not letting go in order to eliminate that nurturing love in our lives. We're letting go to be able to regulate it, and it should come with a measure of humility. Now let's take this to the next level. The Kabbalists explain that water and land and we will be talking about earth in the fourth part of this series, we're talking about water now, represent two types of consciousness. One is conscious consciousness, and one is superconsciousness. Physically, you see on land, all the creatures on land are exposed. In water, all the creatures are submerged in that reality called water. Even though, yes, on earth we have oxygen and we have the atmosphere, but it's not obvious. Whereas in water, it's very clear. Everything is submerged. You look at the face, the surface of the ocean, and you see nothing. You can see some waves. Once in a while, you may see a fish or a fin. But overall, what dominates is the water. So the mystics explain it this way. That in our beings, we have two forms of expression. One is our conscious expression. That's like land-like expression. Think of it like speech when I'm speaking to you right now. It's clear the words are being articulated. You can hear them. How about thought? When you're thinking, your ideas and your, even your very words are all submerged in the waters of the idea. So water reflects much more an inner or deeper state of consciousness. The hidden waters. On a deeper level, that means that there, what dominates is a higher state of consciousness. And the focus on the details is not quite there. You ever find yourself listening to music and you become so enwrapped in the music you don't even realize that you have a headset on, that you may be dancing to it. The music completely encompasses you, can transport you to another time and place. That's an example where water is dominating. Something beyond you is lifting you up wrapping your, and you become, you're essentially absorbed by it. Transcendence, in that sense. Same thing, you read a book. You get so immersed, you don't even know you're turning pages. You're reading words. You get so absorbed, where the object and the subject melt into one another. So on earth, you can say object and subject 
are two distinct entities. Water, the object and subject become melted as one. It's when you're in the zone. So in that sense, water is the purest state of being. When a child, a fetus, is immersed and submerged in the embryonic fluids, it's exactly what you have. The hug, the nurturing of something greater than the child that gives the child a sense of security. We all need this in our lives. When you are loved by another, completely embraced, unconditional love, you're essentially experiencing that water type of being fully encompassed by something beyond yourself. And indeed, that is the superconscious state. That's why we're not conscious of it. Consciousness already would mean there's an object and a subject conscious of one another. When you become so absorbed, you don't even sense yourself. You don't feel your own sensations because you are being consumed by something greater. So in that sense, the real deeper meaning of love then and nurturing and the calm and soothing element that water provides us or provides for us is rooted in that spiritual state. Now we live in a very conscious-oriented and I would even say materialistic world where things are defined by their identities, not by their being absorbed by identity greater than themselves. But love, which is so necessary in our lives, is exactly that, healthy love. Healthy love means you're completely accepted and embraced by someone or something beyond yourself. And you completely embrace someone, other, another, to the point where there's no difference between the two. When you see in the highest states of intimacy, there's a certain melding, absorption, a union called in the Bible becoming one flesh, where you cannot distinguish between the two because they become literally intimately interwoven seamlessly as one. And in truth, that's an aspiration for every human being to really reach that level where you experience everything in that type of oneness. Now, obviously, intimacy is a unique experience. It's not something you can do 24-7 physically, but psychologically, spiritually, people who are really in the moment are that way all the time. They're never superficial. They're always immersed in something that's beyond themselves while doing the work that needs to be done, like a fish in the sea. So when we talk about the personality then of the archetype and the personality type, the temperament of water in that sense, it's essentially, and I'll introduce you to a new word that you may or may not have heard, a Hebrew word that is so fundamental in mystical thought, and frankly in all thought and psychology. It's called bittel. B-I-T-T-U-L. What does that mean? It means it's a combination of modesty, humility, but above all, suspending yourself in the face of something greater than yourself. You ever stand in front of one of the wonders of nature and you're so in awe. Again, you you don't feel yourself. You feel absorbed by the experience. That sense of belonging is being submerged in something greater than yourself. So in that sense, water offers us a reality that is beyond us. Now, what's the downside of that? The downside of that is if you're completely submerged and you lock everyone else out and you never return to earth, so to speak, to land. The goal is, is to bring that superconscious state 
where object and subject are one back into the world of a subject and an object and basically fuse the two to experience the extraordinary in the ordinary. That's challenging, but that's exactly what needs to be done. So total indulgence, as I spoke earlier about, into pleasures, into that form of feeling completely connected, has to be checked that realizing it shouldn't become something that's arrogant or selfish at the expense of another. It should be seen as a gift. And we humbly accept that gift into our lives. So, as I said at the outset, all of us have the fire part in our personalities and have the water type. The question is, what's dominant? And the second question is, how are you harnessing it toward the positive ends, accentuating it, amplifying the positive, and how are you controlling and taming and tempering the negative aspects of it? Because everything has that positive and negative. So I would suggest two things. First, let's focus on the water part of ourselves to go back to what I said earlier, which is sit down and focus on yourself and say, do I have calm moments in my day? Am I soothing to others? The nurturing part, how loving am I? And it's not whether a question whether you are personally loving, it's whether you're acting on it. What can I do to actualize more of that watery, moisturizing element? Am I making others feel that they belong? Essentially affirming another. And then, how much am I indulging in it? Am I indulging in it too much? Am I able to temper it? Can I harness it somewhat? These are the questions that we ask. The next part is now, let's bring it together with the fire that we discussed in the previous part of this four-part series. So once you've done the exercises around the fire type, personality type and temperament, now you can say to yourself, okay, how do these two play itself out in my life? Which is the more dominant one? Should I look for more balance? And we're not talking about fighting your inclinations or fighting your personality type. We're talking about guiding it, directing it, channeling it. And it's good to know which one is more dominant, which one is more powerful, which one plays itself out in your life more. And you may discover a surprising result. And that is that though one of them is dominant, maybe the other one just simply needs more exercise, more cultivating. And that's the next step in our work, is looking how these two play, again, play out with each other. So take an example. Passion is an excellent and necessary component in life. But as we discussed, passion could also lead to forces that are very violent and arrogant and aggressive. Water is essentially the counterbalance because it's soothing, loving, kind. And vice versa. Fire can help direct water toward being more balanced and not just love, but some discipline, some um, channeling, regulating, guiding it. In love, we need to have passion, but we also need to be nurturing. These two need to be balanced with each other. Very often passion 
when we're very passionate, we can forget about the other. Because it consumes us. So you see from that how each of them need the other to counterbalance and create the right mix, the right blend, the right harmony. As we will go through the other two, what we, the goal obviously is to look at all these different elements and different temperaments independently and then how they all interact with each other. And you will discover tremendous insights into who you are. So to go back to the water element, let's talk a bit more about certain particular features. When you drink a cup of water, it's refreshing. And indeed, water is very much part of who we are. Is it 75, 80% of the human being is made up of water? Two-thirds of this earth is covered by water. So we see how much, how critical it is to life itself. And that is because love, which is the symbol of water, is critical to life. Take away love, it's like taking away water. That's what nurtures. But there's another element. I remember when I was a younger man, my parents took out a country home, rented a country home in Brooklyn near the Atlantic Ocean. And I would go there for dinner, sometimes stay over the night. I remember going out to the sea one night. Teenager, learning, exploring, And I remember the relentless waves. It wasn't a stormy night. It was a calm night, actually. But the waves never stopped. And in my idealistic, poetic mode, ruminating, dreaming, I said, maybe they'll stop for a moment. Well, I waited all night till the morning, and they never stopped. Actually, it gave me that sense, a physical sense of what infinity is like. Something that's relentless, doesn't stop. And we all know how hypnotized we are. How uh, captivated we are by the sinking of the Titanic. The Titanic, as its name suggests, large, enormous, unsinkable, and then humbled like the smallest creature by the great mighty ocean. So there's something about water that is on one hand, as I said, soothing and calming, but there's another thing it's about, it's enormity and its sheer power, which you don't really see. You see it during, God forbid, tragedies or tsunamis or storms. But generally speaking, water is very calming. And even the waves, the relentless waves, Generally speaking, unless there are strong winds and a storm out there, they have a certain calming effect. The sound of the waves, the sound of water, many people use that to allow themselves, lull them into sleep. It is because it reminds us of the nine months of those embryonic fluids in which we were immersed. It gave us a sense of belonging. But at the same time, It also has a power of infinity, which isn't a contradiction because what is infinite if not love? The love you give to someone, the love you express, lasts forever. 
which you take lasts only as long as you own it, as long as you use it, and then it dissipates. Piece of food, money, whatever it may be. The love you give lasts forever because it impacts another person in ways that we can't even measure. It's calming and soothing. And the love that we received shaped us into who we are. Unfortunately, we live in a world where many of us did not have that watery beginning. We didn't feel that full nurture. We had the nine months, but we not necessarily felt submerged, felt embraced and loved. So we need to work on building that part of ourselves. And that, again, is part of this exercise of developing the water personality, temperament within you. So, if you are that type of personality, that calm, serene, soothing, relaxed type, see that as a great gift. Because that brings calm to others, besides to yourself. But, no, we also need the fire part, the passions, and also know that you don't want to be over calm in the sense where you're just indulging in whatever it is that satisfies you. You want to use it for a higher purpose, because that indeed is the essence of water, being submerged in something greater than yourself. The hidden world, the hidden worlds, the worlds that are beyond our conscious grasp. So in the end of the day, we're looking to bridge the superconscious water into our conscious lives. If each one of us did that, individually and collectively, what kind of world would we live in? So Isaiah says it clearly. We will live in a world, he says, there'd be no more evil and no more destruction. You know why? Because the world is filled. The earth is covered. The exact words are filled with the, the divine knowledge as the waters cover the sea. So there's a seabed. But they're covered, they're submerged by water. That's the analogy that Isaiah the prophet uses for transformation of this globe, of this earth. The thing we all aspire to, a better world, a utopia. A world where matter and spirit are fused as one. A world where the conscious is integrated with the superconscious. A world where water does not destroy, but water submerges, encompasses, hugs and embraces everything on earth. That's on the collective and on the personal that each of us is submerged in these deeper and higher waters. So just one simple personality type, one simple temperament, like water, look how much it contains. The messages, the lessons. And that's the focus of this part too. List as many examples as possible of how you are a water temperament in your life, how it plays itself out. What can you do to make it grow, to develop it, to exercise it? Where does it need some checking, checks and balances, some tempering, some channeling? And you'll be on your way to yet another exhilarating experience of yourself in a new and fresh way. This has been part two of a four elements course, a four-part course. 
the power, the power of water, the Kabbalah of water, hidden worlds. Next week we will speak about the Kabbalah of wind, or sometimes called air. Everyone be well. Please stay in touch if you have any questions or any comments, MeaningfulLife.com. Thank you so much. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.